Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's time to swarm the 402. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye hype to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is canceled. Corn Huskers, more like corn suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? All right, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks. That's your Hawkeye Oasis located in a Nebraska desert. We are lucky enough today to be joined by 90s Iowa basketball star Wade Lokingville, sir. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks. This we're excited to have you. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep, I'm excited because you know this is taking me back. Wade and I were talking. We're about the same era of high school basketball back in Iowa. I went out. I tried to find my short shorts, but for some reason they don't fit anymore. And uh, you know, one of the big burning questions, Wade, was how happy were you back in the day when the Fab Five came along and stylized the longer shorts <laughs> so that we didn't have to you wear know, those goofy things anymore? So I played. So my high school shorts were tough. They were <laughs> nobody wants to see those, but. By the time I got to college, they were a little Let's long. take a look at this. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> still, still looks good right there. Not bad, not bad, not bad. Yeah, it needs a haircut, I think. But um, <laughs> um, So my shorts weren't too bad. Now, my high school shorts, I think you'd get arrested if you try to wear those outside the house. But 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 Michigan, man, they changed everything from the black shoes, black sho- black socks, the baggy shorts. Um, things, are, things, are, things, things are cyclical, though. They're starting to come back around. You see yeah. – a lot of the kids flipping the shorts over, especially in the women's game. They really shorten them up, and mm-hmm. and um, you know they they got pretty long there for a minute. So I think it's good that we're kind of getting back to the the more normal. Yeah. 
Well, you know, we were at least old enough or young enough that we didn't have to deal with the knee-high tube socks. You know, that was a little bit before our yeah, time. So. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember it got so bad at a point where I would try to, like, dribble the ball through my legs and once in a while I'd get caught in the shorts. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. And then yeah, now, like you said. At least wear those shorts. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, geez. And then, like you said, it's weird with like fashion in general. Like everything has just come to a complete circle. The high shorts are back in, like all the old school mm-hmm. stuff. You're seeing people wear like high waisted jeans and like crop tops and like the circle glasses from like the 70s. Yeah. Even it's the like mom's jeans. I mean, it's crazy. Our daughter's 17, and that's what that's what they wear. It's it's bizarre, but it, they look uncomfortable. It's it's fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, before we move on here to the uh, the playing days and everything, I got to say, though, man, you still like, you know, that picture Adam showed was from 2014, I think, off your Twitter feed. And I mean, you you know, you, I mean, you look like you could pick up the ball and get out there and yeah. play again. I, I think you and uh, you and Rob Houtland, I think uh, when we interviewed him, you guys have a fountain of youth that you've maintained or something. Yeah, Wade. You know, it's something where when you're a little taller, you know, I'm six, six. So you can you can hide the extra pounds a little bit. Um, I'm still OK if I have to go straight. But boy, if you got to move laterally, I got, <laughs> okay. I got nothing, I, I got I nothing felt, to side to side. So yeah, I, I right. felt I felt that comment. But anyway, yeah. Well, Jerry, we're that just telling us we're not chubby. We're just laterally challenged. <laughs> that's right. So, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm only ran laterally. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe tough. Maybe, yeah, hor- yeah. maybe a little horizontally too. Yeah, but anyway, touche. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only six one, so I'm not actually a little thick. I'm just a, not tall enough. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that vote of confidence, Wade. Uh, let's update Hawkeye Nation, everybody, on what you're up to now. Um, I, I, it blew my mind, um, at the Iowa football game. I believe it was, um, let's see, which game was that Purdue? Purdue. I was there, yeah. ran into you. I'm like, Hey, we're going to stop. And, um, you have a refreshment on the way into the stadium. And I ran into, I look over and right standing behind me is Wade looking bill. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. It's Wade looking bill. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite players of all time. Nice. So nice. that was pretty cool to, nice. uh, a huge moment for me to be able to run into you. I was talking about that all weekend, telling people and, but um, enough about my excitement. Tell us what's going on with you and your life, your your family, and everything that's going on with you guys. Yeah, yeah. so we live in we live in Urbandale, Urbandale, Iowa, suburb of Des Moines, and we have two two kids. I'm married, my wife Angie. We have two kids. Our daughter is um, a senior in high school. Our kids go to to Waukee Northwest to the new okay. Waukee High School that's just opened opened this fall. Um, she, she's a dancer. She likes to dance both in studio dance and then with uh, the school team, the school. The Waukee Northwest School Dance Team, and our son's a sophomore, and um, uh, he like he likes soccer. He's kind of tall, about six five, and he's he's a goalkeeper on his club team and on a school soccer team. So I know nothing about either of those sports, so it's actually kind of nice. I can't yell at the coaches or yell at the officials because I don't really know that much about it anyway. And my son's a goalkeeper, so he either stops the ball or he doesn't, and you know. We, Go have ice cream, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I might have been the worst soccer player of all time. I don't, Jerry. Did you ever play soccer? I was, I was the goalie again because I think I was yeah. laterally challenged back then on my mobility. So yeah, I was always the goalie at, at my height and size. So. Yeah, it's a good oh. sport. I like it. It's, it's nice actually because there's no, there's no timeouts. There's no, you know, substitutions are, are minimal. Um, unless it's, it's a, a tournament, there's no overtime, so you just kind of get mm-hmm. in, get out, and it's actually fun to watch. I like it. You know, hey, Wade, I mean, speak on that a little bit, though. You know, where your kids play soccer, is that kind of a relief for you, you know, with your basketball background? Is that just kind of a relief to be able to just be the every guy parent out there? I mean, versus if they were, you know, playing, if they were focused on basketball? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. You know, maybe. I mean, our, 
our kids, when they were younger, they, they played, you know, all the sports. And mm-hmm. I think you just kind of gravitate to what, to what you like and you kind of gravitate to what you have some success at. You know, my son played, played basketball, but he did he liked it, but he didn't love it. And mm-hmm. once it started to kind of conflict with, um, with soccer, you know, that was the end of basketball. And our daughter was the same way. She, she really gravitated towards dance early. She was two when she started, started taking dance lessons and, and that type of thing. But, um, whatever they want. I mean, it's, it's, um, everybody's different, you know, whether it's yeah. music or, or sports or the debate team, everybody's different. You just got to kind of let your kid figure it out and then support them as best you can. Is it, yeah. it kind of nice just being able to be the average parent though, without yeah, like the coach sure. looking at yeah. you for advice. Yeah, for or sure. You know, like and I, I coached my son and, and my daughter when she was playing, you know, soccer, baseball, mm. basketball, softball, and it was fun. I liked it, but it is kind of nice, you know, Soccer is so different. You have to get certified, and I, I don't want to coach soccer. I don't really want you know to be involved in that. Um, and then dance is a whole, whole another animal. But um, it is kind of nice just to sit back and relax and and uh, watch your kids play. Wade, you're telling us you don't want to be a dance coach because I could totally see it. <laughs> I think that's that, that's one thing that you really I think have to have been a player or, or, or been a dancer, so to speak. You know, you can learn even soccer. You can learn the formations and basketball and baseball. You, you can YouTube video it to death, but I think dance is one thing where unless you were a dancer growing up, you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to teach it. It's, it's uh, different for sure. Well, and again, we're going back to that, you know, laterally challenged thing, uh, you know, that we yeah. all seem to be facing. So yeah, yeah. yeah, probably, probably, probably a good thing for your health. Maybe that you stay for out sure. Of that, for so. sure. Yeah. Well, dance, dance is a legit sport. I mean, that, that is. is a legitimate oh, is. sport. My daughter did it for quite a while and she just kind of like what you, you said about your kids. She um, just evolved into the stuff that she really was passionate about, which was softball and volleyball. And so, you know, if you're going to be really dedicated to a sport, you spend your off season focusing on those sports. So um, that's, that's a, uh, I think that's a really um, great thing. And uh, that you mentioned and really tells kind of who you are as a parent that, you let your kids lead you and you let them tell you what they want to do and, and don't force, you know, I, I play basketball at Iowa. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to. And you see a lot of parents today that are trying to drive their kids to a, D- a division one scholarship where, you know, it's, it, it really can't ever be the parent. It's gotta be the kid driving the bus. Yeah. You know, you, you need to encourage your kids and, and um, push them a little bit, but you can't be, that parent that forces them to do things because no one's going to benefit from that. No one's going to get better. No. no one's going to have any fun. And, you know, as your, as your kids get older, things get a little more competitive, but you know, when I was coaching little kid basketball, we used to always say, we're going to, we're going to play hard. We're going to have fun and we're going to get better. And, and yeah. that's it. you know, I think maybe we should all do that in, in, in every sport, you know, every game we play or every endeavor we try to, we try to do. Yeah. So, uh, Wade, going into the Wayback Machine now, let's go back to the Fort Dodge of the 70s and 80s. And uh, how did the how did a young Wade looking bill develop? Where did you know, we're talking about your kids. How did you as a kid, where did your love of basketball come from? You know, what was it like growing up? How did you uh, what what inspired you growing up and how did you get to, uh, you know, to actually the Mr. Basketball of 1988 in yeah, the state of Iowa? Yeah, yeah. I always liked basketball. My, my, my dad coached basketball when I before I was even born, but um, I always liked basketball. And, you know, it's something where back when I was growing up and when I was playing at Iowa, it's not like it is now. There weren't a lot of choices for games. And, you know, ESPN was it was in its infancy, you know, if even it existed. So 
it was the Iowa Television Network, you know, and that's yeah. when they broadcast Iowa games. So in Fort Dodge, when I was young, that's what you watch. You know, it's a mm-hmm. it's a Thursday night, mid February, not much going on. So you kind of turn the TV on, and there's for me, it was Steve Carfino and mm-hmm. you know, Greg Stokes, Michael Payne, those guys running up and down. And then I was um, I was state free throw champion when I was nine. The old Elks hoop shoot. How about that? So <laughs> that's the only time I got to um, the field house in Iowa City's. We went at halftime and got to go out on the court for the like the three state regional competition mm-hmm. or something. But okay. um, I was ever in the field house. But um, I moved to Fort Dodge and then just it kind of it, it was a really good thing for me to how I developed as a player. You know, there's a lot of good things with a small town, but the competition just wouldn't have been there. Moved to Fort Dodge when I was 10 and then just got involved with youth basketball. The Fort Dodge Y it was awesome. I remember in junior high, we'd walk from North junior high and I'd carry my trombone. I'm in seventh grade and we walked down to the Y and play bumper pool and basketball and, you know, have a candy yeah. bar. My, my mom would pick us up at five 30. It was great. You know, so everything yeah. was simple. Um, but also at the Fort Dodge Y, you know, you, you had to be tough. They had a had, they had a chalkboard where you'd write your name up on like like who had the next game. So the mm-hmm. five playing, and the next five would write their name on the chalkboard. Then the next five, and I still remember guys coming in and seeing my name on there, and they just took their hand and erased my name. And <laughs> you know, they said, "You ain't playing." You know, and you know, so you you just wait around, wait around, and it got to be later. Guys had gone gone home, and then and then you get a chance to play, mm-hmm. and um, you know you. You kind of develop a little bit of toughness from that. Um, and guys weren't weren't mean about it, but they were just like, you know, you're not playing, young kid. You know, it's just it's my turn. So, um, and then and then high school, we we had really good teams in high school. My mm-hmm. you know, four state tournaments, 85, 86, 87, and 88, and just had really good teams, really good conference. The old Big Eight conference was terrific. So a lot of a lot of high major kids came out of there, and and um, it was a lot of fun. Yep. You were uh, you were also on a really uh, massive uh, AAU team that had a lot of success as well. I mean, what was that experience like? You were playing, you know, that was probably Skinner, uh, Brian Pearson. Um, trying to think of some other names that were on that, but tell yeah. us about that experience. Yeah, uh, Morgan, we played with us. Jay Goodman, my old high school teammate. Um, Chris Street came up when he was a sophomore then towards the end, but it, it wasn't like it was today. You know, we played at that time, again, late 80s, well, mid 80s, really. You, you played two AU tournaments. You played in the U-17 and the U-19. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we won the state tournament, the state championship. Um, we had a pretty good team. And then you went, one year we went to Virginia Beach. Um, the biggest one was down in, in um, Rogers, Arkansas. No. Is that where Arkansas State is? I think it was Rogers. Anywhere. Anyway, so, somewhere down in Arkansas. I think it was big time. Was, that was U-17. I mean, everybody was down there because everybody was getting recruited. And, again, those were the only AAU tournaments at the time really around the country was just that national sanctioned event. Um, but again, that gave me a chance to play against a lot of, you know, college and future pros. Whereas, um, you know, even in Fort Dodge, there just wasn't a whole lot of competition and you got exposure, you know, again, obviously pre-internet, pre-Twitter, pre-cell phones. So you had to actually be seen by coaches. And I had had some success at those national tournaments, and, um, yeah, I was lucky enough that Iowa offered me a scholarship. 
Uh, speaking weight of uh, getting offered a scholarship at Iowa, can you go back to your recruitment process? You know what that was like. Maybe some of the other schools that you were getting recruited by that you were potentially considering, and what were your first impressions of Dr. Tom Davis? Yeah, yeah. So again, this is 1987, so everything has changed so much. But um, um, I got invited down for an official visit um, the fall of '87. So this is the fall of my senior year, and. Um, was playing football, so we played football that night, Friday night in Cedar Falls at, at Unidome. And then my parents and I drove into Iowa City Friday night, Saturday night, and then came home Sunday. But so um, on, on so that, that that weekend on my visit was um, myself, Lafonso Ellis, was oh, a Notre Dame, was wow. a pro forever. A guy named Tim Bro, who I think I think he went to Wyoming. I think he played for the Rockets for a while. Okay. And then and then the big dude was Sean Kemp. So Sean Kemp was on oh, campus wow. at the same the time. Rain, the so, Rain Man. Unbelievable. Elkhart, Indiana. I mean, just, uh, um, yeah. So again, it's fall of 87. And so I didn't get a lot of attention that weekend. You know, they, they got guys coming in. Again, this is when Iowa, you know, they had McDonald's All-Americans in a lot. Eric Anderson visited. David Booth was in the next week. Um, but so what So what Tom Davis told me, so what you do is you, is you come in, go to the football game Saturday night, uh, s- Saturday, go out Saturday night, run around with some players, and then you have you have breakfast or lunch with Coach Davis on Sunday. So Coach Davis sits me down, and and, and I talked to him, you know, throughout the weekend. But mostly it was Gary Close was kind of the lead recruiter mm-hmm. for me. And he and he told me he said, hey, he said, Wade, we're not going to offer you a scholarship today. We think you're the you're the best player in the state, but we're not going to offer you a scholarship. We just want to see how your senior year goes. So I thought, okay, that's fair. It kind of kind of made me mad, you know. Again, but yeah. it's so different back then. I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen or what they were going to do. So, so that was good. Um, that was fine, I guess. Um, so then they sign. Um, that's in November. They signed Ray Thompson, McDonald's All American, James Moses, and Ace Earl. Those three really good players, really good players. And then um, they still had one scholarship open. And um, I thought, well, you know, that's that's going to be mine. And then in February, they offered they offered Troy Troy Skinner. So, so, so now they're out. Of, now, now they're out of scholarships. So, you know, I'm kind of thinking, man, I, I need a place to go. So, 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 so Drake's recruited me. You and I's recruited me. Um, North Northwestern Wisconsin came in a couple times, but but they'd already backed off. Um, so, the Iowa coaches still kept talking to me. They kept saying, "Hey, just be patient. Be patient. Things are going to change. Things are going to open up." They'd come see me play a couple times. I had one really bad game. I had one really good game that Rudy Washington was at, the assistant coach at the time, and that that helped me a lot. Um, and then just it was the way basketball, um, it just the way things happened. Mark Jewell, who was a really good player out of Evansville, Indiana, he was Mr. Basketball in Indiana maybe in 86. He wasn't playing a lot in Iowa. And just He was a good player, but he was behind Brad Lohaus and Al Lorenzen and Eddie Horton. So he transferred from Iowa once the season's over late March back to Evansville to go to school at Evansville and it opens up a scholarship. And they called me the next day and said, um, you know, the secretary calls you. It's, it's kind of funny. You know, the, the secretary calls you and says, please hold for Tom, for coach Tom Davis. And, and uh, yeah, they offer you a scholarship. And again, everything's so strange. You get that FedEx envelope in the mail the next day. And you, I think they maybe still do it. I don't know, know what they do, but you have to fax it back in and, you know, nothing's official till they receive the facts, and it. So you kind of keep things quiet. But you know, my my recruitment was was, was really unique. I, I did go down to one game that during the season in Iowa City, um, but again, just 
scholarship opened up and it worked out really well. I was, I was lucky, very fortunate. Did you have any uh, discussions with Johnny Orr in the Iowa state program at that time? Yeah. Or? Yeah. They, they'd seen me play a couple times. Um, gosh, the coach, that's terrible. He just, just passed away. Terrific guy. Um, Oh, the assistant coach at Iowa state. That's terrible. Worked with, uh, um, Iowa games forever. Um, coach Hallahan, Jim, Jim, okay. Jim Hallahan. Okay. Um, had seen me playing, talked to me a couple times and, you know, it just was something where they got a lot of guys from Michigan and they were already set kind of at my position that, that, that three, four. Um, but yeah, Johnny came to a couple games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, no, that's, that's great. You know, and it's, you know, I'm going back here and I mean, again, you know, when you look at that class you were in and I mean, I don't know, you know, looking back at it, it's uh you were just in such a class with like, like you just, you're, your AU teammates that 88 team was just strong. There's a lot of recruits coming from in state. So it just seemed like you, you know, being Mr. Basketball amongst that group would have spoke a little bit louder for that, but uh, we're awfully glad as Hawkeyes that you ended up where you did. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was something where, you know, where I grew up as a, as a six, six kid, again, you know, it's hard to imagine this, but the, the, the three point line wasn't invented or wasn't used in high school basketball until I was a sophomore in high school. So I never thought about shooting a three-pointer. You know, you just – you're kind of tall and you can jump okay. So you just go down low and you score 24 points a game and get 13 rebounds. But you don't think about doing ball handling drills. You don't think about shooting from the perimeter, which is something where I think kids nowadays, they they do that from day one. You know, you look at – like a guy like Peyton Sanford, who's a freshman at – um at Iowa, I watched Peyton play forever here at Waukee. And, you know, he just 6'8", but he can handle it, he can shoot it. 30 years ago, that's me, 35 years ago, really, that's me. You just go down low, you post up, and you score, and you don't think about it. But the game has changed so much. You know, between the shot clock and the three-point line, if if I was 15 years old today, that that's all I would do is ball handling drills and shoot threes. Well, and back, uh, you know, I don't think you can understate enough how much different it was. Because like you said, getting a FedEx package back then with the uh, with the offer, a phone call, a phone call had to happen with you when you were at home or at school. I mean, there was no cell phones. You weren't carrying anything with you. You know, everything was snail mail. And, you know, there was no 24-7 and rivals like it is now. I mean, back then it was these guys doing the scouting, going from city to city and, you know, and writing periodically or or what have you. I mean, it was just... It's it was just so much more of a detached uh, kind of method than what it is now, where everybody's accessible at all times. So yeah, you know, it was, and I I didn't know, you know, I I knew the kids in the Midwest just from playing against them in mm-hmm. uh, basketball camps. I, I knew the Illinois kids, um, some of the Indiana kids, but that's about it. You know, it's just yeah. something where unless you saw them on WGN in the Illinois state basketball tournament, you know, you 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 didn't mm-hmm. know who. I can't, you know, the guys from Florida, you might've seen them at, at that national AU tournament, but um, yeah, I would get letters in the mail. You know, George Raveling was big on that. He was recruiting me for a while at USC. He'd send things in the mail, just really kind of odd things. And then, then the letters just stop, you know, they just, mm-hmm. they just either don't, you know, got somebody already in that fit or um, yeah, it's just, it's just really different where they don't say, Hey, we found somebody else or, um, and I didn't have, you know, major, major offers. I only had three or four and, um, Iowa was the best fit for me. It was the best offer I had. And, and it was something where they were, and they were, they were loaded. There was, there was some good years of late eighties, early nineties. The big 10 was real strong. You know, you forget that Chris Weber went first in the draft in 93, big dog, Glenn Robinson went first in the draft in 94. Um, you know, Michigan was loaded that they won in 89. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of good players. Yeah. 
Jeez, for, for those youngsters out there, Wade, um, educate all of them on uh, Tom Davis, the coach, the human being, and what your relationship was with him. Yeah, you know, Coach Coach Davis was just very, um, just a really intelligent guy. You know, literally, he has a PhD. Um, that's where the doctor comes from, but um, just a just a really intelligent guy. And looking back, you know, he he was probably one of the first coaches that that ran the program almost like a, like a corporation, you know, he would, he was at practice every day. Um, and then would send their, send the assistants out to recruit or to scout that type of thing. But he was at practice every day. He loved that. I think I, 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 he almost like practice better than, than the games. Um, just very analytical, philosophical. Um, and the way he played was, was really unique with the pressing style, um, you know, guarding the inbounds p- passer and then especially with the bounce pass, you know, his thought was that the natural position, especially for big guys is to have their hands, you know, kind of down, almost down by their, by their waist. And so you shot fake and then throw the bounce pass into oh, yeah. Sierra or Les Jepson. And um, you still see that sometimes. And it kind of makes sense. You know, the game has changed so much again with the shot clock. When I played, we had a shot clock in college, but it was 45 seconds. So, man, if you're up 10 points with eight minutes to go, you just run the clock down and grind it out, and the game's over. Um, but now you got to keep firing. you got to take the first good shot you get. It's, mm-hmm. it's more like an NBA game than it is a college game when I played. But Coach Davis is a great person, terrific basketball mind. And um, it was too bad the way things ended for him in Iowa. Um, yeah. You know, if it, if it was time for a change, then they should have done it definitely uh, a different way. Um, cause he, he def he no question deserved better than the way he was treated that last year. And yeah, yeah. well, I don't, I don't know what you think, Jerry too. And like, no disrespect to the Iowa administration at that time, but that move of, you know, moving coach Davis out, I think set Iowa basketball back about 15 years. It took us a long time to recover from that move. Yeah. Well, you know, so I was 99 and, uh, Nick Collison was a, was the scene of that year. And I don't know if they could have gotten Nick. I, I know Nick a little bit. You know, he grew up in Fort Dodge for his first, I think, 12 years. And I've talked to him here and there. But um, he loved the Hawks. Loved loved Chris Street. You know, knew me from Fort Dodge. Um, I don't know if they could have had him, but they would have had a good shot. But just that just that, that lame duck year made no sense. I mean, you, you just stop recruiting. Literally, yeah. you don't call anybody. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be gone. It just – it was unheard of. And um, that was Bob Bowlesby. You know, and again, if he wants to make a change, that is totally within his right. But um, it, it took a long time to, to, to dig out of that. You know, the coaches they hired after that. And even mm-hmm. when Coach McCaffrey came in, you know, was it 10 years ago, it was that cupboard was bare. And it's yeah. it's taken a long time to dig out of that. And I think you now you're seeing some of the guys they got visiting, some of the guys they got committed that are, you know, 15 years ago, they were turning down not to – minimize you know Tulsa or Western Illinois but now guys I was getting commits from you know guys that are turning down you know Michigan State Minnesota Illinois you know high major types of programs yeah so what uh what kind of coach you know in behind the scenes was, was Dr. Tom Wade you know because you mentioned a couple of systems so, but you have a Gary Close you have a Rudy Washington you had a Bruce Pearl for a while yeah, you know was yeah. Dr. Tom was What's he Bruce just, doing was he... now anybody know what he's doing what's he doing <laughs> He's an Auburn. Yeah, sure. That's crazy. He looks yeah. good though. He still looks yeah. good at the football but, game. But uh, you know, was 
Was Dr. He always, Tom he always takes his shirt off <laughs> he all did the time. That the Tennessee thing too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Any excuse he can get, he peels Bruce up. Bruce is unbelievable, yell. man. You talk a, a salesman, though. That guy, I mean, he will motivate you and get you on campus and lock you up. You know, it's something where um, say what you want about you know how he does it or his his methods, but salesman, motivator first and foremost, and then also a really good basketball mind. Mm. Yeah. Do you, you know, I guess on the question of Bruce Perlin, I mean, if you don't know or no comment, that's fine. But, you know, the, he had that with Deion Thomas at Illinois. There's yeah. that kind of that back and forth. And ever since then, the reason the only reason I bring it up here is ever since then, Illinois has just had it out for Iowa mm-hmm. basketball for those last years and such. Did, were you privy to any information or, I mean, anything on that? Or was yeah, that so Deion, out of your realm? Yeah, I played against Deion a couple times in um, my junior year, my sophomore year. My sophomore year, we, we were struggling. We had kids flunk out and just we were ranked 18th in the country at one time, but then everything kind of got guys got hurt and everything went to hell. And um, Illinois was good. Oh, they were good. They had Kendall Gill mm-hmm. and Doc Liberty and, you know, Kenny Battle with that left hand was unbelievable. Um, and um, we, this is so, so with, with the Illinois thing, you know, Bruce really did nothing wrong. I mean, he, he tape recorded the phone call. But it was Illinois that offered Dion the car. I mean, it just, it was something where I never understood, you know, why they're mad at Bruce. I I can understand that, you know, that he turned him in, I guess, so to speak. They're the ones that, you know, were dumb enough to do it or dumb enough not to tell him to talk about it. But, but so, so we, we usually flew to Champaign, but this year, that, that year, again, this is when everything had come out. Um, we took a bus to Champagne. We kind of came in in the dark of the night. Like usually, you come in, you you practice on the floor. We were struggling, man. We were struggling, but um, they had armed armed guards around Coach Pearl, and they just they beat us by forty. It just was nothing we could do. It was it was it was their senior night, I think. Even and we'd actually beaten them, I think, at Iowa City that earlier that year. We, we finished four and fourteen in the conference. That that was one of the games we won, but. Um, yeah, and there's always a rivalry. You know, there's there's lots of Illinois kids that play for Iowa, um, so it's kind of you know that border state rivalry. But I always like those Illinois guys. They were fun. Yeah. I like them. It was kind of it was kind of funny to me because about a year or two ago, I think before they were played them, I mean Deion Thomas rolled back out and they had him back in the paper. You know, it was it's just kind of funny how Illinois that's always just stuck in their mind for what 40, yeah. 30, 40 He used to work for now. the Big Ten Network. I don't know if he still does. He was okay. Yeah. I mean, he was a nice player. I mean, he's, I think he's an all time leading right. score, but that's because guys leave early if they're real good now. You know, it was something where, um, you know, it happened and and was Bruce at fault? Maybe a little bit, but again, they're the ones that offered the blazer and, you know, I should have told Dion not to talk about it. Yeah. Are you, uh, so going back to kind of the question that got us sidetracked here, but you know, what was Dr. Tom more the, you know, the high level coach and leave it in the hands of those, all those talented assistants he had or, um, yeah. So he, he was more high level in that, um, the basketball things, the X and O's, that was all him, all him. But the nighttime workouts, all the stuff behind the scenes, he left that to everybody else. So he, he did not, you know, he never really had lunch with us or ate with us, you know, when you're traveling, that you, you have to. But, um, and I think that's more that the, kind of that, that, that CEO feel, you know, you can't yeah. be 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Come one, shop all at the JCPenney Friends and Family Sale. Through Wednesday, use your 30% off coupon inside the JCP app and shine on with up to 60% off diamond solitaires and studs. Plus, get carried away with up to 70% off luggage from Samsonite, American Tourister, Skyway, and more. Anyone shops, everyone saves. We got your holiday. JCPenney. Offers valid on select items through 12-7. Offers reflect after coupon savings. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. You can't be the the head man and then, you know, come have dinner with you that night, you know, at at, yeah. at training table. It's just it's just something where and that's probably how it is now too with a lot of programs. But um, that was really unique, you know. And I, I don't think Coach Davis is. Um, I think he's been to one basketball game since since he left Iowa, and that was a couple of years ago. They honored the 20th anniversary of Chris Street's death, and um, I happened to sit, sit next to him at the game. And then we all went out on the court at halftime and, and then he left. So he was there for a half a game. And I think that's the only one he's been back to. And it's just something he was, where he doesn't want to be a distraction. You know, this is not uh-huh. his team and that type of thing. But I still think there's, um, you know, a little bit of regret or animosity to how things ended. And um, like I said before, if, if, if Bob Bowlesby wanted to make a change, that's totally up to him. But the way they went about it really – Hurt Coach Davis and hurt the program. Oh, oh, definitely. And yeah, I can't really blame him. I mean, that's, I I would feel the same way and I would probably want to handle it the same way. But yeah, um, he's a great guy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, Drake, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. He he really, you know, just brought Drake basketball back to life when he was there too. Yeah. It was really exciting. And yeah. um, but going back to uh, uh, Chris, um, your relationship with Chris Street as a teammate and as a friend, um, can can you really uh, dive into what type of person he was and what kind of teammate he was to play with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw you guys' tweet today about the statue at Carver. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. You know, I think it's it'd be hard. pretty cool. It'd be really cool. It's you know. Chris was the, Chris was a great guy. He 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 was the best. You know, just kind of a small town Iowa kid. Loved to hunt and fish and play basketball for Iowa. That's kind of what he liked to do. And um, it just was happened to be you know six nine. He could run and jump and was a great athlete. And Chris was going to be a pro. You know, he was only twenty years old when he was killed, and he was still maturing as a player and becoming more athletic. And um, it just was a tough day. You know, it was something where. Um, as a team, we were starting to roll, started to gel a little bit that year in 93. And, um, you know, we just had to kind of duct tape everything together that last year. But Chris was the best. He, he, he was a great player, fun to hang out with. And, you know, he was, you know, he'd, we'd go out at night and run around, have fun, and, and um, just a really, really good guy. Yeah. Kind of going back to what I remember most about, um, you know, Chris, one of the big things and talking about his talent when you say he'd been an NBA player, but you guys had the fortune of running into the, the Leitner, Hurley, uh, Grant Hill Duke teams two Ooh. years in a row in the NSA tournament. 
and I believe it was that 92 game when you guys played. And I just remember him taking over that second half for, you know, he just, it seemed like he, they couldn't stop him in that second half, the way he yeah. was going after it. Yeah, well, and and that, uh, that was his, that was his last game he played at Iowa was when, when we played at Duke that Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah. It just was something again, where the, the, the three point line was now starting to be more incorporated for, for big guys too. And Iowa coach Davis had a, he called it the, the, the four man trailer. So the four man, you know, you got five, four, three, two, one. So the four man's a power forward. He always took the ball out of bounds every time, no matter what dead ball, live ball, out of bounds play, four man always takes the ball out of bounds. So that was Chris. So take the ball out of bounds, try to push it up, see what's there. And then the four man would trail and stop at that three point line, kind of where the elbow is extended. Mm-hmm. And if he got that ball back, you know, on a ball reversal, that was a shot every time. And Chris was get, starting to be really good at that, really good at that. And that's something where, you know, you saw it at, in college. The NBA was starting to kind of incorporate that more into the game. And and he was he was the best rebounder in the Big Ten. It wasn't Chris Weber. It wasn't Juwan Howard. It was it was Chris. And um, when you lead the Big Ten in rebounding, that's that's something where you're going to get drafted. You know, no matter might not be first round, but again you're going to get drafted first or second round. And that's where, that's where Chris was going. Well, and that's kind of, kind of what you're talking about right there too, but it's also uh, kind of an, it never really gets talked about, but the, he's got that free throw record. Yeah. I mean, when's, you know, when's the last time a four or a five can shoot free throws like that? I can't really name of anybody else. I mean, usually it's your guards and maybe yeah. you know, your one or twos, but yeah. I mean, the fact that he was just so all around that he even has that free throw record on top of what you were talking about down on the post. I mean, he just, yeah. he was just and a phenomenal all you know, around. He, and he came in as a freshman and, and- Again, like like I grew up, you're tall. You just go down to the to the post, and you use your athleticism and your height. And again, you get twenty two and thirteen every game, and it's pretty easy. Now, and now you go to college, and you got Weber and Howard and Eric mm-hmm. Anderson. You know, it's it's different. So mm-hmm. you have to figure it out. And Chris wasn't a great shooter when he first came to Iowa, but but by that second year, that third year, he was really good. Mm-hmm. And, and and the free throws are a perfect example. That's just that's just hard work. You know, there's no mm-hmm. you don't become a great free throw shooter just by waking up. There, yeah. no, there are a few. If you if you're Steph Curry or even like Fred Hoiberg was unbelievable. Those guys can roll out of bed and make a hundred in a row. But um, everybody else has got to kind of kind of work at it. You know, Wade, walk us through uh, when as a team in the locker room and behind the scenes, um, how, what that was like getting the news uh, about Chris's yeah. death and and how you guys handled that and that inspired basketball that you guys played the, the following game against Michigan State, coming back from a seventeen point deficit yeah. and beating beating a really good Spartan team. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just a strange time. You know, those those, those ten days were really unique, and um, you know, as a college kid, you're just you know, I was 23, but I'm still a kid more than more than I am an adult. And um, yeah, Chris was killed. It was um, it was a Monday or Tuesday night, I forget. And it was it was the last day of, or it was it was the first day of the second semester. So he he had a night class, and um, we were going to stay overnight. We always stayed um, for home games out at the Highlander at the hotel just to kind of get away, get the kids out of the dorm or out of your apartment. And uh, we went we went out there at eight, and he was with. Um, he was heading to his um, night class and um, just got stuck in that snow and the ice there and, and uh, you know, um, was killed instantly. And, you know, again, this is 93, so pre-internet, pre-Twitter. Mm-hmm. So nobody knew anything until – so I was at – I went home. I was in my apartment watching – it's funny. It was, um, was watching um, – it was Indiana-Michigan. We were playing basketball, like that big Monday game. Mm-hmm. And um, 
um, one of the managers, Kevin Ralston, called me on the phone and and um, said you need to come to the arena immediately. This is probably I don't know seven thirty eight o'clock. And first thing I thought it was was is, is my parents. You know, something happened to my family. And um, you know, I finally got out of him. I said, you know, what what happened? And he said, Chris has been in a car accident. So you drive to Carver, and um, you know, again, still don't know what's going on, but you can see it's it's not good. Everybody's very emotional. And Kevin Skillet, Kevin Skillet, I'll never forget. He pulled me aside in, in the tunnel as I'm kind of walking in and kind of you know coming away or going to go in the locker room. And he just says, "Hey, just want to let you know that that that, that Chris has been killed." And um, yeah, it just was something that, you know um, you just kind of never forget. And then everything else, you know, pulled everybody in, and then. You know, you try again, no cell phones, so you're trying to get a hold of people. And um, there's all kinds of rumors. I think my parents thought it was me at one time, you know, because you just hear mm. Iowa basketball player killed in a car accident and just bits and pieces. And um, so that everything kind of shakes out. And, you know, then you got, you know, funeral and still trying to practice. They postponed that the game the next day in Northwestern. I think they postponed another game. And then finally, like nine days later, went to Michigan State. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Sean Westbert, Westbert, Anthony Pig Miller played for the Lakers for a while. Um, Eric Snow was the guard with Ellen Iverson forever with Philadelphia. And, mm-hmm. and we're just, you know, we're just not, not ready. You know, we're just not ready. But um, like you said, we're down 16, 17 points with three and a half minutes to go. And BTN replays it every year. They'll probably do it this year before they play at Michigan State. But come back and Michigan State, you know, Eric Snow was an unbelievable player, but man, he was a terrible free throw shooter. He missed, and they all missed, and Val Barnes yeah. hit some big shots, and we tie it, and then over time we win, and it's it's quite a comeback. Well, and then the following game after that, you guys have the big upset at home then over the, uh, I believe they were number four or number five Michigan team then shortly after that. And, I mean, do you credit that then from what you're saying, Wade? Do you credit that with, a, you know, the emotional – I don't want to say emotional high because it was such a downtime, but with with the strength of the emotions at that time, or yeah, I mean, that's a big part. You know, it's that it's that adrenaline. We we but we were still pretty good. You know, AC Earl mm-hmm. was a lottery pick. You know, um, Russ Millard became eligible, and Russ Russ was you know could have could have been a great player. Just you know was never really healthy at Iowa, but he he was mm-hmm. a good player. And Val Barnes mm-hmm. could score, and James Winters was tough, and you know, we we still had some pieces. But I think it's one of those things where yeah, you're just kind of going through the motions and, and you know, you're having come back down from that emotional, it's not a high, but that emotional energy. And um, you know, the mission game was, was crazy. That was Super Bowl Sunday. CBS yeah. had the Super Bowl mm-hmm. that afternoon, which they would never play a college basketball game before the Super Bowl. Now they have, you know, eight hours of pregame stuff, but um, yeah, we played at noon. The Fab Five came in and we, we beat them too. It was fun. Wade, tell us about personally the inspired basketball that you played because, um, you know, the short moment we um, had to speak in person, I told you one of the biggest things I remember uh, about you from your career is after Chris passed, just the inspired basketball that you played really took your game to the next level and just uh, you really helped lift up all the Hawkeye fans out there with your performance on the court. Uh, tell us about what, how how you were feeling when you were playing, and you know the, all the motivation that led behind that those amazing performances. Yeah, you know I I I love Chris, and he was a great player. But you know I I had started every game my sophomore year, and then and then I got injured, and then um, maybe not every game my sophomore year, but almost every game. But um, and then I got injured that year was Chris's freshman year. And and he was better than me. I'm not. He he would have beat me out even if I was healthy. But 
Um, then when I came back as a junior and he was a sophomore, you know, he was getting all the minutes and I was playing the four and the three kind of backing people up. And, you know, I wasn't great um, at the three, but I was okay at the four cause I was kind of undersized, but I could shoot it. Okay. Um, but that, you know, when, when, when Chris wasn't there, it really opened up a lot of minutes for me. And, and I tried to just, you know, make the most of a terrible situation. And I always tell people, you know, you know, basketball was the easy part, you know, that from one to three thirty when, when we had practice or during games, that was the easy part. Cause you're just focused on playing basketball and playing a game. But once that stuff was over, whether it was, you know, a, a Saturday night hanging out and Chris wasn't there, or it's, you know, a team meal and you're just kind of laughing and trying to have fun. And Chris isn't there. Um, those were the hard times. Yeah. When you had time to think about it, because yeah. you know, yeah, when Definitely. you're in pra- practices and games, you're, you know, you're you're distracted. So, yeah, what is, uh, you know, Wade, take us through. You know, we've seen like we're talking about the on the court stuff. What are some of your favorite behind the scenes? You know, one or two Chris Street stories as far as you know, outside off the court, and then maybe also, you know, maybe with some other players too. What, what, what's what were you guys like off the court, and uh, you know, what are some of your favorite memories? Yeah, yeah. So I roomed with Chris uh, my senior year on the road. So we. I don't know why they match us, but they they would they they match you up with with the roommates. So that's that yeah. was my guy, and we you know, we shared a room. We got our own bed, but um, shared a room on the road. <laughs> so so we so Chris's last game we we played at Duke. Uh, right. Really good game. Uh, Leitner was gone, but you know Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley was there. That was the game. Chris that was his last game. Set the mm-hmm. consecutive free throw record at thirty four. Um, they were good. They beat us by maybe six, um, but I think it was tied at halftime. Um, but it was a Saturday afternoon game and we weren't flying out till Sunday. So like all good college kids, we're going to go out and run around, see what's going on. And, and, um, um, we go to a couple parties and things and, and, you know, it's a small campus. It's Duke's not a very big campus at all. Mm-hmm. And very, you know, the, the basketball knowledge, even with the students is, is off the charts and, and everybody gravitated, gravitated t- towards Chris, you know, whether it was, Duke basketball fans, Duke students, um, the old ladies who would come to Carver Hawk Arena, young kids, everybody gravitated towards Chris. Just had that had that personality that uh, made you feel special and welcomed. And um, he was a fun guy to be around. But I, I just remember going out that night at Duke and, you know, everybody mm-hmm. just, again, flocked to Chris. Good game, asking questions and stuff. Cool. Um, so that's one story. Um Oh, this is kind of a good story. So my freshman year, we played at North Carolina. This is the infamous game where Eddie Horton got fouled, but Roy Marble shot the free throws uh-huh. a long time ago. But this is like 89, 88, maybe, I think 88. Yeah. Um, played at Carolina. The, the, the Dean Dome was still new. Again, probably six versus seven, the rankings. And um, beat Carolina. Ray Thompson, the freshman, had a great game. Um, Carolina was pretty good. They, they, they weren't you know, as good, but they still had, I think they had Pete Chilcutt, King Rice. Um, who names their kid King, by the way? I've never understood. <laughs> who names their kid King, but what's your name, President or something? I don't know. But, yeah. Um, There's a lot of weird names out there. Yeah, but King Rice was a pretty good player. Um, Scott Williams played for the Bulls forever. Uh, J.R. Reed was on that team. Mm-hmm. And um, and J.R. had visited Iowa, I think, a couple years ago, and Eddie was his host, and they didn't get along. I don't know. It's a long story. But anyway, so we, so – so we beat them, stayed overnight, and um, we go out that night, and we go to some bar in, in Chapel Hill. And, you know, again, it's that triangle. It's Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. Carolina, Duke is in um, 
Durham. Dukes and Durham, and then NC States and Raleigh, and they're all like yeah. ten miles apart. It's 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 the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go we go to some bar that night in Chapel Hill, and it's packed. And you know we got we're tall guys, and everybody's you know literally standing out. And, you know we get something to drink and we're hanging out. And um, I don't know if he's the manager, the owner of the bar comes up to us and he says, you know, in that that southern drawl, he says, "Boy, you guys played a real good game today. Congrats on the win." He says, but then he says, well, "Why don't you finish your drink and go somewhere else?" You know, just, <laughs> oh wow! Not, not way, but he just didn't want right. the Iowa basketball players there that had just beat his team. So we're not. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. We're not that dumb. So we leave yeah. Chapel Hill, go to Raleigh, where NC State's at, who hates Carolina. And, you know, we they turn the music off and we come in and welcome us in. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> buying drinks and, you know, that. Yeah. So, but it's just um, amazing basketball. We played, it was funny. I, I played NC State one year in the tournament, Wake Forest one year in the tournament, played at Carolina, played at Duke. So kind of all those ACC schools we played, but um, a lot of good players. But um, just the, that, that, that triangle down there is, really a unique place to be. Uh, it, in my opinion, in, in my lifetime, it's during the period where you played, it was the heyday of college basketball because everybody stayed almost for all four years, no matter what. And anymore, if there's a really great player, he sticks around one, two years well, that was the a, most. That was a joke. You know, why did, that's a joke we used to say is, you know, why did Chris Weber stay two years at Michigan instead of going to the NBA? Mm. Well, he did, couldn't afford the pay cut. Oh yeah. So, All right. Yeah, but it, it, it was different. I mean, you know, if 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 Chris Weber is a senior in high school, he's not going to college. You know, you know. No. Now with the with the NIL stuff, that may change things. You know, we'll see how that goes. Um, that may change some of those kids because you can make 150 grand in, in in the G League or in that overseas of that. What do they call that other league they're playing? But. You know, you got guys in college now making, you know, high seven, high six figures, if not a million dollars. So, again, you got to it's it's going to be really interesting these next four or five years, how that develops. And maybe a guy like, you know, like Chris Weber, you know, or Imani Bates is in in Memphis now reclassified. And he's a a freshman in Memphis, but has to be at at college for two years because his. Anyway, um, maybe some of those kids will stay longer now instead of going to the NBA because I think they can improve their game and also they can make a lot of money in college. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and another good name right there was during your recruiting, you mentioned Sean Kemp and he went yeah. straight to the NBA for the money. And who's yeah. to say that he doesn't, you know, somebody like that doesn't yeah. maybe. He didn't really have a choice. So he just, you know, kind of the whole supposed to go to Kentucky and got that package with the money, I think. Or maybe that was Chris. I forget who it was, but. Yeah, he just was, was he was looking to cut a deal and and um you know he just but guys like that are different. They're just you know Chris Weber, you you see that guy for 90 seconds, you say and you say that guy's a pro. Mm-hmm. Not only is he a pro, he's probably a lottery pick. And not only is he probably a lottery pick, he could be a Hall of Famer. He, he, they're just different. They're just different. You know, and AC Earl had a great 
NBA career and he was a lottery pick, but Chris is different than, than those guys, you know, just yeah. physically he is, he is unique oh, yeah. and blessed. And, you know, Jimmy Jackson was the same way at Ohio state. He was, you know, Chris was so physically intimidating, but Jimmy just was so good and six, six and handle it and shoot it. And you say, you know, that, that guy's a pro. So yeah. in that respect, you know, they don't really, it doesn't matter where they go to school or who's their mm-hmm. coach. They're going to play in the NBA, but for every Jimmy Jackson or Chris Webber, there's guys that think they're that good and make the mistake of coming out too early, you know, mm-hmm. or DJ Carton, the kid from Bettendorf that went from to Ohio State and then to Marquette. And I don't know, you know, he came out or left school and, you know, I just wish the best for him. But that's the type of kid that needs to stay in school and kind of figure things out because mm-hmm. he's really good, really good. But boy, at that next level, everybody's good. I don't know if you guys know this, but my claim to fame is getting dunked on by Chris Weber's brother in an AAU tournament. So, really, I oh know yeah, brother. Yeah, he's got a little little brother, and yeah, he crammed one on me. Um, it was at Drake uh, at a Drake AAU uh, tournament. Uh, Luke oh, yeah. Walton was playing in it too, and his dad Bill was coaching. And uh, yeah, I didn't get to play against Luke, but uh, Chris Weber's brother dunked on me. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, claim so- to fame. <laughs> so wait going back a little bit to nil then what are your personal thoughts i mean on this is this a good thing is this can you do you i mean what's you know what are your fears or you know what are you what do you like or you know what's what's your personal so opinion on it? first off you know it's, it's it's been around for literally for three months i think with july one everything mm-hmm. went into effect so um you know it's it's something where I, I think they had to do something because the way it was going you know last year with with luca mm-hmm. garza you know iowa has sold all those number 55 jerseys, you know, that's Luca Garza's number. Should he get some of that? Absolutely. You know, when you see his face that these betting sites steal, basically steal and use his face to promote their their bets or to promote their their betting sites, that's not right. Now it's, we'll see how it works out. I mean, I, I think, you know, you see Dr. Pepper with that quarterback from Clemson, DJ. Uwe Ungale. Yeah, I can't even say it. Yeah, I mean he got he got benched the other game, and then you at, during the commercial break that he's on that national Dr Pepper commercial. So um, Spencer Rattler, same way, you know, he's got a ton of money, and he he's not even playing. So I think every you know I think all these companies rushed to support those kids, but they got to be careful how they do it. So I think they had to do it. And I, I think it's going to you know revolutionize basketball. You know whether it's um, good or bad, time will tell, but. It's something where, as a as a team, you know, if you talk about Iowa basketball, they have to embrace it because if they don't, they're going to get left behind, and kids mm-hmm. are going to go to other schools because they can get more money with NIL deals. So now, that's not the type of kid that Iowa is really going after, mm-hmm. but I know it comes up in the recruiting conversations with with kids nowadays. So mm-hmm. you have to embrace it, and you have to say, "Hey, we we can help you all we can," but it's such a gray area because you can't line up. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't line up Jordan Bohannon with Principal Financial Group. You know, it's just something where you got to have something where just like you're a salesman, you talk to them and you get it lined up. But, oh, by the way, you got to go to school, you got to practice. So I, I I think you'll see younger kids, you know, maybe freshmen and sophomores in high school now, really take advantage of that. And everybody else is just kind of trying to figure it out. I think it's good for the game. I think it's going to keep kids in college more, maybe for a longer time. Um, but it's it's the wild wild west. 
Uh, Wade, the NIL stuff just really made me think of uh, the whole farewell tour that you guys played on uh, when you got after your senior year. And I remember I went to a few of the games that you guys had played and I was just like, it was amazing getting to watch you guys play. It was just like, you know, Iowa legends out on the court. And I, I don't know that they've done anything like that since that I can remember. Um, I had uh, bought multiple of the the farewell shirts. I don't know if you remember these, but I wore this baby out. Like, <laughs> Thank you um, for doing that. Yeah, I probably got. Two, I probably got two dollars from that shirt. Maybe just a dollar from that shirt. Well, Thank you would you would you would have gotten six because I bought three of them. You were one of them. I had AC or Olin. I'm trying to remember who the other one was. I think I got. Um, was it Jay Webb? I yeah. think was the other yeah. one. So um, Val, yeah, that was yeah, yeah, and Val was on there too. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that experience playing in that because I remember you guys played against Bobby Hansen and I, it was like the Bobby Hansen All Stars. Yeah. And the game I went to, I can't remember. I I can't remember. I think it was in Indianola, but I don't quote me on that. Bobby yeah. broke his nose in the game and he was bleeding out of his nose. And I don't know if you remember this him taking a chair and like kind of hitting it into the wall. He was pretty upset about breaking. He was his still nose. playing, you know. I think he probably was down there just to you know, help us out and help the street yeah. family out. But, but <laughs> the farewell tour, that was something, you know, Randy Larson, you know, shout out to Randy Larson, the, that used to own the airliner. Now he owns, um, Oh, what's the place there in Corval on the strip. That's terrible. He's going to kill me for not remembering. All right. There used to be sports bar. Um, what's his place called? Anyway, you should, it's a good place. Bob's your <laughs> uncle used to own that, but man, Randy would have games lined up. Whenever we got beat in the NCAA tournament, it was a Friday or Saturday, we'd have a game Tuesday lined up. And we would go to, you know, I don't know. We would go to Riverside, Iowa and play the firefighters on Saturday afternoon. And Saturday night, we'd drive over to Kyoto, Iowa and play the teachers, you know. And it was something where we would split everything. We would split everything with whatever organization it was. Usually it was teachers, firefighters, something like that. And. As kids, we made a little money and the town made a little money and and we tried to sell some merchandise and make a little money, but um, it was great. And Randy had everything lined up for us. And I don't know why they don't do that anymore. They haven't done it for years. That was 93. I know like the 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 really big year was like my freshman year in college was 89 when BJ, Roy, and Eddie were seniors. Okay. Those guys were big name guys. They were big name guys. Um, and then it just kind of carried over. You know, I, I know they did it for at least two or three years after I graduated in 93, but then it just kind of stopped. And um, it was you know, fun. That, that, that was a way, you know, getting back to the NIL stuff, you know, like so when I was in college, it, it's it's still a rule, but you could not you could not work during the school year. OK, so even if you wanted to, to generate money, couldn't do it. When I was in school, the Big Ten was set up that you only got um, training tables, training table, which was one meal a day only when you were practicing. So practice started October 15th. You lost in the NCAA tournament March 20th. Other than that, you were on your own trying to get food. Now, you would get kind of a stipend or a check when you lived off campus, um, but it was still tough. You know, you had to save some money in the summer if, if you worked in the summer. And and um, so I think from that perspective, I think the NIL is going to be a good thing. But the, but the Feral Tour was crazy, man. It was something – it was really neat to kind of get out to the small towns. You know, it was a big thing like in Northwest Iowa or Southwest Iowa, the towns that weren't very close to Iowa city could kind of get out and get back. And 
that's one thing with Iowa, man. The fans are great. It's unbelievable. You know, I was, I'm an Iowa kid and was fortunate, you know, just to kind of be in the right place at the right time and, and play for Iowa. And I just was really excited, really lucky and just love being a Hawk. I remember being furious with my mom because I got one of the white ones and then I got a couple black ones too. And I had all of you guys sign the white one and she threw it in the washer. And I said, <laughs> mom, what are you doing? Well, that thing was she... worth thousands of dollars. And now oh. it's worth <laughs> Wait, it's worth sentimental value. And that's worth I got a whole box of any dollar. I got a whole box of them in, in the basement. Yeah. I got plenty left over. So are you serious? I got six or seven, probably. Oh, geez, I was gonna say because oh, if wow. you do, I want one. They're that was my apart. that was my favorite. They were cheap to begin with. We were trying to we were trying to get a little revenue, a little profit there. So no, it was fun, and, and we made a little money, and, and we hope the towns made a little money and had some fun. And the farewell tour that that brings back memories. A long time yeah. ago. So uh, Wade will help you save face, but I believe Randy Larson owns the Monica's on the street. Monica's, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So That's, we got to make sure yeah. we give him a shout out. We don't want to. We want to make sure you. Yeah, we'll we'll give him a shout out. Randy's we you know, great. He did here, so much. So. I say, hey, in all seriousness, Randy, unbelievable with the primetime league, the summer basketball league. He, unbelievable what he did and the work he put into that, and it it just it. I, I think that almost changed Iowa basketball to keep those kids. You know, James Moses was, was from Carson, California. You know. He, had, he got better games in California all over the place. But mm-hmm. because of that league, he could stay in Iowa City and play pickup games. You know, he, guys didn't have to go home in the summer to get good basketball. They could get it right there in Iowa City. And that was all because of Randy. Yeah. Are they still doing that primetime league? No, it's been a couple years now. Like the Des Moines tried to have one. Or Des Moines did a really good job. They, they had one for quite a while. But I think those have all kind of faded away. You know, it just, okay. it's just um, liability and injuries and – I think the primetime league, I think it's been at least five years since they've had it. Okay. Yeah. Well, Wade, we've had a great time. We're coming up on an hour here and we don't want to keep Thanks, the rest Jerry. of your afternoon. Um, it's, it's, this has been so much fun. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going back in memories now thinking back to the old, uh, you know, Skinner looking like he's going to shoot a three pointer, but he's putting up the alley-oop for one of the guys down yeah. low. Yeah. I used to love that play. Under Dr. Tom, Tom Davis. He was, yeah. Tom Davis was so good at set plays, like out of bounds plays, dead ball plays, you know, 10 minutes or 10 seconds left in the shot clock. He was really good at that. Very good. Yeah. You well, got to remember the Wade looking bill shot fake too. That like, <laughs> you know how many kids copied that off you from watching you play at Iowa? I'd get the ball. You know, I'm at the time in high school, you know, six foot tall. So I got to use that pump fake a lot. And I, so, I scored a lot of points from copying everybody, everybody off Everybody wants you. to block a shot. They want to jump. Now my, my problem was I pump fake. And then Chris Weber comes to the weak side and, Blocks it into the third row. So, yeah. Yeah. But everybody wants to block a shot, you know, and, you know, yeah, everybody wants to jump and block a shot and, but little pump fake and lean in and, yeah, you were good. you were so good at it. I think we had a few uh, a few traveling calls called that shouldn't have happened because I mean I think you even faked the refs out on a few. I'm faking so. power. That was what Coach Davis <laughs> there you said. Go. You pump fake and then you but, try to shoot a power layup. Yeah. Like I said, for coming out of the Des Moines area, playing basketball at the same time, you this has just been a blast for me. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Wade. And don't and don't be a stranger. We I think we probably covered half of what we could have asked yeah. you about. So you guys uh, hang in there in Nebraska now. I know you're deep in enemy territory, but ooh. good to go. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It was an absolute honor. Thank you so much for everything that you did for Hawkeye basketball over the years, all the great memories that you, you created for all of us. And um, again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to a couple old guys living in Nebraska that are huge Hawk fans. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And I, I think our basketball, I think the future's bright. You know, th- this year's kind of a rebuilding year, obviously, but 
they got some talent. They got some talent on that team, and they're getting some commits from kids that are, you know, big time kids, top 100, top 50 types of kids. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fun, you know, next five or eight years for Iowa basketball. Good, good. If we can, uh, if we can't get make it back to you guys, we try to bring you guys to us and have a little piece of home over here. So awesome. Uh, All right, thanks, Wade. See you guys. Go, Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Come one, shop all at the JCPenney Friends and Family Sale. Through Wednesday, use your 30% off coupon inside the JCP app and shine on with up to 60% off diamond solitaires and studs. Plus, get carried away with up to 70% off luggage from Samsonite, American Tourister, Skyway, and more. Anyone shops, everyone saves. We got your holiday. JCPenney. Offers valid on select items through 12-7. Offers reflect after coupon savings. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.